So in 1966, there was a young woman from Croydon. And this young woman, she boarded a boat with only 10 pounds in her pocket. She had no idea where she was going. But she had a word from the Lord. And that word was, I will lead you and I will guide you in the way in which you should go. And so she went. And she went out and she found the cheapest ship on the longest route passing through the most countries on its way. The ship went from France to Japan. And the boat she was on, eventually it docked in Hong Kong, where she believed God had ordered her to disembark. So with little money and unable to speak the language, she found herself wanderingly, wandering aimlessly in this foreign city. That is until she eventually found herself in one of the most destitute places in all of Hong Kong at the time, Kowloon, the wall city. It was a place notorious for crime, for drugs, and for prostitution. And this is how she describes her first visit there. She says that I will never forget the darkness. I'll never forget the smell, a fetid smell of rotten foodstuff, excrements and ofo and general rubbish. And as she walked through the walled city, she encountered unfathomable poverty, drug addicts, child prostitutes, splatters of blood and human feces all over the ground. And it was in this dark and forgotten place where a young Jackie Pullinger came face to face with both the urgent physical and spiritual needs of this community. Now listen, Kowloon is not the only place where you come face to face with urgent physical and spiritual needs. I mean, right here in London, there are pressing needs all around us. In Ukraine, there is a growing need for food and for shelter for those fleeing the country because of war. In fact, the need is so urgent, one recent poll describes the Russian invasion of Ukraine as the biggest refugee crisis of modern times. And many of us have our own personal needs. Yeah, there's those needs that are out there that are going on in the world, but many of us in here today, we've come with our own personal needs. You know, perhaps, you know, your greatest need right now is financial stability. Money is a bit tight for you right now and you need a job or you need a raise. Perhaps you're single and you feel like your greatest need is to find a husband or a wife. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety or persistent illness. And what you need is to feel better, to be healed. See, in our text today, we see Jesus coming face to face with a man who's in great need. So let's look at how Jesus responds to this man's need and how his response reveals to us what our greatest need truly is. So here are two things I want to draw your attention to in the text. One, 
what we see is a shocking diagnosis, and then finally, a shocking revelation. So the text of this passage is Jesus has just been on the mountain. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. And we read that the crowds were in awe. They were in awe of his authority and the way in which he taught. Because he didn't teach like the religious leaders of his day. Jesus was different. He taught them as one who had conviction. He taught them with power and with authority. But now Jesus is working his way down the mountain. He's about to begin to demonstrate visibly the power of his message through healing. The word is out. You know that Nazarene who was up on the mountain teaching the word of God? He's now healing people. Lives are being changed. Souls are being set free from demonic oppression. And the news spreads. Spreads fast. Eventually it reaches his hometown of Capernaum where we read he just recently got off the boat. Other gospel writers tell us that he's heading to his mom's house, probably for chicken and waffles, because that's what I would be doing. I was going to my mom's house, but he's there. And suddenly there's a crowd of people who began showing up at his door and they are wanting to hear the word of God. They are wanting to be healed. And in that crowd, we have a group of friends. Verse two. We see these group of friends carrying their paralyzed friend on the stretcher because he has an urgent need. Now, look, we don't know much about the paralytic man. We don't know how long he's been crippled. We don't know if his condition was the result of an accident or whether he was born that way or whether it was sin. We simply do not know. But what we do know is that the gospel writer Mark tells us that he had four amazing friends who loved him enough to bring him to Jesus. And if the rumors about Jesus was true and he could meet people's physical needs, then he could meet their friends' needs. And they had the faith to believe that with Jesus, this was possible. And notice, first thing that Jesus responds to when he reaches them or when they reach him. In verse 2, he responds to their faith. He commends their faith. And what this shows us is that, look, faith is more than just a belief. But faith is a conviction that leads to an action. And it is an action that garners a response. You see, they just didn't believe that Jesus could heal their friend, but their faith compelled them to act, to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about faith. And one of the things scriptures tells us is that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder to those who earnestly seek him. Jesus responds to people's faith in him. 
All throughout the Gospels, we see him commending people for their faith, for believing and acting on their conviction that he is who he says he is. Jesus seems pleased with these men's faith, and their faith garnered a response. Look at what Jesus says to them. He looks at the man and he says, son, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. What? (laughs) Now try to imagine what these friends must have been thinking. I'm sure Jesus can see that this man is paralyzed. They didn't bring him to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. They brought him to Jesus so that he can walk again. But Jesus saw that this man's problem was not his paralysis, but this man's problem was his sin. You see, sin is putting self in the place of God. It's saying, I'm going to live life on my own terms. I'm going to be my own Lord and Savior. I'm going to disregard what God has called me to do, and I am going to do what I feel is the right thing for me to do. When we choose to live life on our own terms, look, it separates us from God. It puts up a barrier between us and God. So when Jesus looks at this man, he sees a man who is alienated, separated from God because of his sin. He sees a soul that is gripped and is tormented and is paralyzed spiritually. And he says to the man, Your sins are forgiven. And here's what Jesus is really saying to both the paralytic and to us. He's saying that even if all of your physical elements were healed, if all of your broken relationships were fixed, and if all of your financial troubles were sorted, and even if all the injustices of this world were corrected, Nothing is still more important than having a right relationship with God. Nothing is more important than having your sins forgiven. You see, Jesus cares about this man's eternal destiny more than his temporal suffering. The sufferings of this world are brief and they are momentary. But to die without having your sins forgiven is a far worse eternal reality. Because you see, the wages of sin is death. In other words, the rewards for living life on your own terms, by your own rules, is not just physical death, but it is a spiritual death. Jesus describes this death as a place of fire and darkness and sadness and pain. And as my brother Rico said last week, look, if Jesus did not say this, if Jesus did not talk about hell, then we have no idea who Jesus is. Hell is a real place. 
And Jesus doesn't want that for this man. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He offers us forgiveness, the grace of forgiveness. He offers us a second chance. You see, to forgive this man of his sins must have been shocking to both the friends and the paralytic. But it was even more shocking to the religious leaders, to the teachers of the law who said to themselves, who does this fellow think he is? Forgiving a man of his sins is blasphemous for only God can forgive sins. This leads to my last point, a shocking revelation. You see, we read that by this time, the religious leaders are having a hard time with Jesus. Look at verse 4. They are starting to entertain evil thoughts in their hearts about him. They are boiling with righteous indignation. Blasphemy was a serious sin. It was a serious crime to commit. Look, there are certain things in Jewish culture back then that even now that you just didn't do. You didn't use the name of God in vain. You didn't say or do anything that would otherwise mar the magnificence and holiness of God. And you didn't put yourself in a place You didn't take upon yourself a privilege that only belonged to God. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking upon himself the privilege that only belongs to God. Only God can forgive sins. They were right. Because only God is morally perfect and without sin. So if Jesus is pronouncing the forgiveness of this man's sin, he is assuming the status of God himself. The one against whom all sins are primarily against. This is shocking to the religious leaders. So Jesus knows what they are thinking in their hearts and he recognizes their unwillingness to say what they are actually thinking. And so he challenges them in verse five. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? And notice Jesus doesn't give them time to respond to the question. Instead, he follows it up by saying in verse six that you may know. That you may know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. He looks at the paralytic and he says, get up. Take your mat and go home. And the same man who was carried there on a stretcher by his friends is going to be walking home for the first time without any help without any assistance. By healing this man, Jesus demonstrates his authority to forgive sins by demonstrating his authority to make the paralytic walk. And we read that the people stood in awe. They were shocked at the revelation of who Jesus was. And they praised God. They praised God for such power and authority that was given to Christ.
So what can we learn from this story? Look, we learn that our ultimate need is not healing from God, but it's holiness before God. See, our ultimate problem is that we are separated from God by our sin. So our greatest need in this life is to have our sins forgiven. And only Jesus has authority to meet our greatest need. And this is the greatest news in the world. To know that God has not left sinners alone to suffer and to die in their sin. But God himself has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to live a life that we cannot live, a life of perfect, sinless obedience to God. And though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die on the cross for our sin as our substitute. You see, sin demands justice, and Jesus met that justice on the cross in order that we might be forgiven. It was Hugh Palmer, the former rector of this church, who said that your sins are forgiven are the most important words God could ever say to you. And only Jesus has that power and the authority to do that. Therefore, our response is to come before Jesus with faith, believing that he can do what he says he can do. Our response is to allow our faith to move us to action and to put our faith in Christ and to receive the forgiveness of sin. Secondly, we learned that Jesus also has the authority to heal our sicknesses and that he cares for our physical needs. Look, we often take this for granted when we read this story that Jesus did heal this man's body. The man got up and he walked. Look, the gospel is not come to Jesus and he will heal your body. The gospel is Jesus has come into this world to save us from our sins. But we must always remember that Jesus still has the authority to heal. And what I hope you walk away with today is with an amazement and an awe that the crowds had at the reality that when Jesus speaks, paralysis disappears. When Jesus speaks, disease is gone. When Jesus speaks, demons flee. Jesus has the authority to heal our sickness. Paralysis is not sovereign. Sickness is not sovereign. Demons are not sovereign. Only Christ is sovereign. So even if your body is not healed on this side of eternity, one thing you can be assured of, that your sickness does not have the last word. Your illness does not have the last word. Your anxiety does not have the last word. Your cancer does not have the last word. Even death itself 
does not have the last word. Jesus will have the last word. You know, when Jackie walked into Kowloon, she was shocked by all the urgent needs that she saw. But the more pressing need that she saw was a spiritual one. She saw a people in need of the love and forgiveness of Christ. She wanted people to know that Jesus loved them and that he offered them the forgiveness of sin. There's one particular story that she says in her book. She writes about a man named Ah Ping. Ah Ping had joined the triads gang that had controlled most of Hong Kong when he was 12 years old. He was supported financially by a 14-year-old prostitute. And when Jackie showed up and began to reach out in mercy and kindness to Ah Ping and his associates, he told her in no uncertain terms, he said, you better go. Just get out of here. We're no good. Go find some people who will appreciate what you're trying to do. Go find people who will be grateful for your kindness. We will only hurt you. We will only exploit you and kick you around. Jackie, why do you stay? Why do you care? Jackie responded, that I stay because that's what Jesus did for me. I didn't want him either, but he didn't wait until I got good, until I wanted him. He died for me while I was still his enemy. He loved me, and he forgave me. He loves you, and he wants to forgive you. Let's pray. You know, there may be some of you here today who recognize that your greatest need is not the physical needs that you walked in here with, but your greatest need is to be right with God. Jesus stands and he offers you the forgiveness of sins for all that you have done. You can have a clean slate. You can have a new beginning. And if that is you, there's a prayer that's going to be up on the screen. And I'm going to say this prayer first. And if you agree with this prayer, if this prayer is something that is beginning to resonate and you begin, you're, you're beginning to believe who Christ is, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me the second time. But first, let me say this prayer. Father, I confess that I am a sinner and that my greatest need is to be forgiven of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and only he has the authority to forgive me for all the wrongs I have done. Dear God, come live in my heart through your Holy Spirit and change me to be more like Christ. 
Help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you read this prayer and you believe this prayer and you're ready to make Christ your Lord, then say this prayer with me. Father, I confess that I am a sinner, that my greatest need is to be forgiven of my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and only he has the authority to forgive me for all the wrongs I have done. Dear God, come live in my heart through your Holy Spirit and change me to be more like Christ. Help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Lord and my Savior.